Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Liana Jugolis. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, founder, and clinical director of Coast Psychological Services, a private mental health practice in Los Angeles. She has successfully been working with adults and couples for over 15 years. Today, we talk about key practices to build healthier and happier relationships. Welcome, Dr. Jugolis. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me here, Dr. McNary. I look forward to talking with you today. Yeah. So I, I know the work that you do, you're a clinician in the Los Angeles area, and I know you do a lot of work with couples and I know you're also working on a book to help kind of summarize all the good work that you do with them. So I guess my first question is as a psychologist, what kind of led you to think that working with couples is where you really want to focus? Sure. Yes. It's something that's evolved over time. I've been trained over the years as a clinical psychologist with adults, with children, with couples, with families. And as I've practiced more and more working with people, I've come to really, really enjoy my work with couples. And there's a few reasons for that, but primarily there's something for me that's really rewarding about watching people build intimacy, deepen their connection, resolve conflict, rebuild their love. And I just, I get so much out of being able to help people heal and build their relationships. When we are in healthy relationships, whether that's romantic relationships or relationships with our friends or our colleagues, I think that we are much healthier. I think we're happier. I think we have reduced cortisol levels in our in our blood. We feel good about ourselves and our lives. So I like contributing to healthy relationships and I'd like to see more healthy relationships in our world right now. I think that's really important. And as it turns out, I've noted over the years that even if an individual comes in looking to do individual therapy, almost always I see interpersonal issues arise that contribute to people's depression, anxiety, and a whole host of other issues. And so as I've worked with individuals as well, I've found that I've usually had to take a few sessions to provide some information to people about how to help them build healthier relationships. So as individuals, they can be healthier and happier and I've been surprised to know that a lot of people really, really don't know some of these things that we as clinicians are maybe trained to learn. Most of our families, right, Dr. McNary, I don't know what your family was like, but in my family with my old school Greek uh, father, we did not talk about relationships and how to build them and how to communicate and how to work through conflict. So I've started writing down sort of this template to just give all of my individual clients, not even my couples that I work with so that they could get a head start. And after some time, I thought, why don't I just write this down in a book so that I can give it to the people I work with, but anyone else looking to enhance their intimacy and resolve conflict. Got it. And I know the book, the focus is strategies for successful relationships, basically. Yes. 
the things that I find as a clinician who's been trained in a lot of different couples therapy modalities to be most effective and manageable and applicable for clients. And I myself use and practice these things in my own relationship. And there's a lot of evidence that if we apply these principles, our relationships are are likely to be happy and, and healthy and connected. I know we don't have time to go through all of the strategies, but I'm assuming the listener who decided to listen to this episode might be curious about learning a few strategies that might help the relationship move forward or or improve. So are there some big ones that maybe would be worth talking about in the short time that we have together today? Sure. Yes. There's 10 key ones that I mentioned in the book, and maybe folks will read the book and learn what they all are in more detail. But As a preview, some of the skills that I find to be really, really important to get started with. The first one is uh, learning how to manage your reactivity and take time outs when communicating about sensitive topics with your partner. As humans, as as you know, Dr. McNary and anyone uh, listening, we have some strong emotions come up for us sometimes, and there's nothing like a close romantic relationship to activate these really, really vulnerable emotions and wounds. And our partners can activate really deep vulnerabilities and insecurities. So emotion can be very hard to overcome on an individual level. And then when you have two individuals who might be experiencing strong emotion at the same time, the possibility To have an effective conversation, to promote listening, understanding, and to get to a place of resolution, it goes out the window when we are too overwhelmed by emotion. Dr. John Gottman, one of my personal favorite psychologists who has researched and studied relationships for 45 years, he refers to this as emotional flooding. And basically, it's when our fight or flight response gets activated and we become very, very anxious or fearful or angry or overwhelmed. And we can even measure this, which is very, very interesting. In uh, Dr. John Gottman's trainings, he has couples wear heart rate monitors that beep when someone's heart rate escalates past a certain point. And in sessions, we have people really take note of that experience. And we say, this is flooding. And when we're in this activated state, fight or flight response, our capacity to listen, to resolve, to focus, again, go out the window. So we really set ourselves up for failure And people try to work through these emotions and they try to communicate and no one's listening. And then one person says something and then their partner's not listening and they try to speak over them and have to reiterate what they're saying. And then the other person isn't able to uh, hear what they're saying and reiterates what they're saying. And it builds until we end up being really nasty to each other and saying things that harm the relationship. So The key is learning to recognize when we're getting flooded or activated and to learn how to take a time out. We can adopt some phrases. We can use some sentences, things like, I'm feeling reactive. I'm feeling defensive. I'm angry. Please stop. Let's take a break. And I think it's very helpful to, ahead of time, have an agreement about how to handle these, 
high emotional situations and charged topics and agree that if one person calls for a break or timeout, that we're going to respect that. And then we're going to try and take several minutes, a minimum of 30 minutes to uh, really, really calm oneself down and utilize various techniques for promoting more relaxation and calmness. And then we talk about coming back to the sensitive topic within a few hours to maybe a day or two, but not much longer than that. When we're calmer, conversations go a lot better. As you were talking, I was thinking about a few things. One is that this is not about long-term avoidance of the issue. It's about short-term avoidance, which will allow you to calm down so you can then approach it through a much more clearer mindset. That's it. That's a great point. And I think because of this pervasiveness of avoidance, oftentimes in relationships, maybe there's one person who's high conflict and wants resolution now. Maybe there's someone else who is so overwhelmed by talking about emotional topics right? There can be any combination of of things. Sometimes both people are avoidant and aren't getting to what they need to get to. And then it ends up backfiring because the situations eventually come to a head, or maybe there's two people who are high conflict or one of each. But basically, if we don't create a space, which is actually one of the other skills in the book, if we don't create a safe space to have check-ins, and to communicate about important issues in the relationship, then we're not able to work through conflict. We're not able to negotiate. We're not able to develop agreements. And this can become really problematic. So we want to make sure that we're getting to what we need to get to. And if we take a time out and our partners know, hey, we're going to talk in two days during our scheduled check-in time, then uh, it's easier to let that discussion go because both people know there's going to be a space to have resolution, which is necessary. Otherwise, the fight keeps resurfacing over and over again. Right. So let's talk about the space a little bit then. Sure. And this is such a simple idea. And many of these ideas come from other amazing clinicians and researchers that go before me. I've just found things myself that I think work, but plus things that I've learned. So this isn't my own idea, but it's one that I absolutely work on with clients in their individual sessions and with the couples I work with. But this is the idea of creating a safe space to discuss issues by scheduling these things we call check-ins. And it's such a simple concept. The check-in is taking a time, having a meeting with your partner once a week, we say ideally, for about 30 minutes. You can increase to an hour as you get better at having these check-ins. Ideally, it's a time when we're not going to be distracted, when we're not trying to work, it's not late at night, we're not going to do this under the influence of alcohol or any other substances. You don't want to do this when you're hangry or when the kids are screaming in the back Yard, the the time to do this is maybe when you wake up, you have a coffee, a tea, and maybe you you do a little bit of breathing, you get into a good mindset, and you go and you sit on the couch with your partner, you sit outside, or you get into a really comfortable, calming space, and you basically do a week in review. You start with acknowledgments of what went well or what went better 
what you're feeling good about. And then you focus maybe on one topic or one issue or one triggering situation or question or concern that needs to be addressed. And you share it with your partner in a non-aggressive way, in an effective way. And your partner also practices listening. And then your partner takes turn and does the same thing. And the idea is to stay calm, practice good communication skills. Another tip from the book, good communication is, is critical here. And hopefully if these are done well and both people are communicating well and resolving this, uh, their emotions or managing their reactivity, then we should leave our check-ins feeling heard and more connected and having a little more resolution about how to make some positive changes moving forward or come up with some ways to compromise around the issue. If we don't walk away from these check-ins feeling more resolution, then perhaps people are having a difficult time being a good communicator, which means a good listener and a good speaker. Again, some of the other skill sets that are laid out in the book. Got it. And when is the book coming out? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I have a way to get very, very impassioned about these things. And if I'm not careful, this book can end up being 300 pages and uh, take years to complete. So the goal is to get it completed by the end of the year. And I'm going to just make it really simple so that people can pick it up, get through it easily, learn and practice the skills. And I discuss ways that they can implement these things into their relationship and how to talk to your partner about maybe making some of these positive changes. So I'll be happy if we see this out by the end of the year. Got it. Okay. So I'm just thinking the podcast will come up before that. What other strategies should we add in here as kind of the the most important? I know they're all important, but big ones that maybe are important to target right now on on our Yes. Any of these things we practice, check-ins, coming back to issues, learning to compromise aren't going to go well if we don't know how to communicate effectively. A lot of us are passive in our style or maybe even aggressive in our style. Maybe we sound critical. So there are definitely some do's and don'ts of good communication. And if folks can learn how to adopt these practices, then you bring these into the check-ins, et cetera, and they're likely to go well. So Basically, the way I break it down to my clients is we have two roles as communicators. We're either in the role as the speaker or we're in the role as the listener. And being an effective communicator interpersonally means knowing how to do each role well. So the goal of the speaker is to communicate in a way we already went over that sounds non-aggressive or non-too emotional The role of the speaker is to communicate succinctly. We actually don't want to say more than we have to when we're communicating about sensitive topics. So keep it brief. Four sentences, five sentences is all we need to express how we're feeling about something. And as we're expressing that, we want to try and use I statements I've been feeling a little bit disappointed because you've been working a lot this week or recently, and we haven't had much time together. Is there a way that we can create more time together? 
So what I'm doing there is I'm using the I statements. I'm keeping it brief. I'm not giving tons of example. I'm not starting with the word you. I'm not using words that are sort of inflammatory. Like you're being really selfish or you're a workaholic. Instead, I'm just trying to very matter-of-factly define the behavior. When you work a lot, I so My question is, why do you think people are often over-inclusive in their language? That's a great question. I think that this is modeled. I think that when we're used to hearing people express themselves well and we have practice doing this, I think that we get better at it. But I think that it can be easier to describe what we're thinking in a way that's a little more inflammatory, especially if we're if we're already activated or emotional, that can happen. It's also a way to protect ourselves by being a little bit blaming to someone else. And I think a lot of us engage in some of these cognitive distortions of overgeneralization. Uh, we, we, we all do this just with ourselves. Like, I didn't get any work done today. I am so inefficient. Well, that might not be true. Maybe I got a lot of things done that day. Maybe it just wasn't one or two tasks. So when we're speaking to ourselves or someone else, we want to try to be specific and use language that sounds compassionate and more descriptive rather than a label. Got it. So these are the key things with the speaker and stay respectful and calm. So you want to start with the I statement. You want to end with your request or what you might need. The job of the listener is to be a good active listener. It means for a few minutes, putting your own thoughts aside and really trying to concentrate on what you hear your partner saying. Most of the time when our partners are speaking, we get triggered and our mind goes off and running, doesn't it? To what we want to say next. So it's important not to let that happen because if we do too much thinking rather than listening when our partners are speaking, we're missing what they're trying to communicate and we might be hearing our own version of what we think is happening that isn't actually accurate and can be very much influenced by our own past experiences and our own sort of biases. So it's key to listen and if your mind wanders, come back. And when your partner's done speaking, the goal is to then summarize what you hear your partner saying so that that person feels heard. And then to try to acknowledge or validate one little piece of what you hear your partner saying that might make sense to you or that you can understand or that you might have some compassion for. The idea is not to get defensive. It's to summarize, validate, and then go into your role now as being a speaker. And if you're a good listener and do a good job summarizing and validating when it's your turn to become the speaker yourself, if you're being a good listener, then when you switch roles, hopefully your partner is also going to be more likely to give you the courtesy of also listening to your perspective and also trying to validate your experience. Right. Well, as you're talking, it makes me think with your clinical work, a lot of what you do is to probably obviously give people strategies in terms of how to be successful in relationships. And a lot of what you do is to kind of identify maybe where they're not really using strategies that are working for them. <laughs> right. 
So you kind of identify, okay, well, you know, you think you're communicating well, but maybe the way you're communicating is actually not, not that productive. Indeed. Indeed. When I work with couples, the first several sessions are assessments. It's an assessment phase. I really have to do quite a few things to get a good picture of where the couples are getting off track and have to find some of those areas that need strengthening and improvement. And once we can identify those sort of weak links in the relationship, the idea is then learning new strategies and new skills to apply instead, and then practicing them. And it's important for couples to practice what they learn in therapy. The practice is the, the thing that is really the most important thing. I think so too. The hardest part, right? Applying that each day. It's a choice and we just try to get better each day. It's a work in progress. None of us are perfect at this. I think if our partners know that we're trying and that it's important to us, I think that they appreciate the effort and it shows we care about our relationship. Yeah. I was actually about to ask big take-home messages to this. And I actually really love that message that we're not all going to do it perfectly, right? But it's the kind of trying to make the relationship better, trying to really think about how you can change behaviors to kind of allow your relationship to thrive even more. And that's the most important thing. Yes, that's it. We have to be encouraging, even if we get 50% of it right, or we make one little change, or we kind of veer off in the wrong direction, but are able to pull ourselves back or correct or repair after the fact. Those are all wins, and it's important that we're kind to ourselves and we coach ourselves on these changes, tearing ourselves down and labeling and telling ourselves we don't have it within us are just going to keep us stuck in old patterns. So be your own coach and be kind to yourself as you practice anything. Right, right. And this is hard work. It is, it is. And and if we do it well and we do these things, the hard work pays off and we feel closer and happier. That's the good news. When it's hard work and it doesn't lead to anything or change or get better, that's usually a sign something's going wrong. Either there's some maladaptive strategies being used or there are some bigger problems within the folks in the relationship that needs addressing. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you quickly summarizing the big points because I know just it's so complex to work with couples and I'm excited to see your book come out because I think it'll make it more digestible for couples in terms of how to think about bettering their relationships. I hope so. That's the idea. Something really practical and easy to implement that we can all we can all do. Right. Well, I'll have your information available to the listener on the episode description. Your book d- description won't be out there, but I'm assuming at some point on your website, it'll be up. So when it does come out, people can be able to access it from there and learn about how to get it and read it. Yeah, you can say on on my website that they can keep posted for updates, but that there's other free mental health information up there that they might be able to benefit from in the meanwhile. Perfect. That sounds good. Well, best of luck finishing this book. I'm excited for it to come out. Thank you, Dr. McNary. I'm looking forward to that day as well. And I appreciate you having me on today to discuss. All right. Well, take care. See you soon. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self.
Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe. Mm-hmm.